Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? And, and what I want to talk about this morning is uh, the blueprint of our salvation. The blueprint of our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 34. Of course, I'm not going to preach in all of these verses, or I'll be here until next Sunday. But I want you to have the, the background of what I want to say tonight. Verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. That's the key verse. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, I, I want to stop here and say, He's talking to believers, not the unsaved. Keep that in your mind. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Of course, that word sleep means to die. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. I want to talk about the blueprint of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, take this scripture and open it up for our understanding and application tonight, for I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an example of God's blueprint of salvation. It happened here in this church a week or so ago, and uh, on that Wednesday night, a sister of the church asked the pastor if he could pray for her and anoint her and so forth. Of course, he said yes, and so on that Wednesday night, he invited me, he called me out by name, and some of the rest of the guys to come after the service. Now, let me give you the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. That Wednesday, there was an assistant district attorney from Tampa that was here in Ocala for a district attorney's uh, convention of some sort, I'm not sure which. But he was a reader of the Tozer books that I had compiled, and so he thought this would be a great time to get to know me. And so the only thing he had was the address to the old church that has been closed and sold and so forth. And so that Wednesday he went to that church building, that site, and I wasn't there. He was very disappointed. And he didn't know where I was. They didn't know where I was. I want to say something. If you have a district attorney looking for you, beware. I, I'm not sure, quite sure what it is. But uh, finally he called his... his uh, girlfriend that lives in Tampa 
and said, I, I'm just out. I can't find this Snyder guy. I don't know where he's at. But I do want to go to church tonight. This is a Wednesday night. And for a district attorney to want to go to church on a Wednesday night says something to me about this district attorney. And so uh, he came on that Wednesday night. And uh, our sister didn't know she was part of God's blueprint. The pastor didn't know he was part of God's blueprint. I didn't know he was part, I, I was part of the blueprint. The, the, uh, the uh, girlfriend that called didn't know. And so when he called, the pastor called my name, the district attorney said, I wonder if that's the Snyder I'm looking for. And right after the service, he came, comes forward and says, are you James Snyder? And uh, I didn't know what to say. I said, yes. And so he introduced himself. And then we made plans to have supper. Do you see how God brought it all together? And do you see that none of the people involved in it understood what their part was? They were being used of God, and they did not know they were being used of God. And I want to say, my friend, that is the blueprint of our salvation in Jesus Christ. God's blueprint, listen to me carefully, is not open for suggestion. Not open for suggestion. He doesn't want me to uh, adjust it and modify it and, and redo it and so forth and so on. I heard one televangelist, I hope I don't say his name, but he said that God came to him to get his opinion about something. I want to say something. If God is coming to me for, his, for my opinion, boy, I'm running out of the door, out of the room real quickly, you see. The plan of God is not open for suggestion or modification. The legitimate blueprint has everything is in harmony with everything and everyone. When you pull it together, the, the pieces just don't seem to match, but when you pull it together, as God does, it is accomplishing God's plan. And that's the thing that we need to understand. And this was established way before the world was begun. Let me read to you uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Listen, according as he hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Before you were born, before God created the heavens and the earth, his plan of salvation, his blueprint, had already been established. And there is nothing that anybody can do, no situation that anything can happen to change or modify that. God never has to upgrade his blueprint. What, what does God say in Malachi 3.6? For I am the Lord, I change not. Amen? I change not. And a couple years ago, I was listening to the, the, the radio station, and, and I would listen to uh, Shelton Smith in the, in the morning and also listen to Andy, uh, what's his name? I, I forget now. Andy, and, and one of the things he said is this here. Some people ask me if the Central Baptist Church is ever going to change. And I loved his response. His response was, we're waiting for God to change. And I want you to understand, my friend, that what God has established cannot be changed by anybody. The devil has tried it. The devil's tried it many a times. And guess what? The devil has failed. God's blueprint is there. And as a Christian, 
were part of this blueprint that was established in eternity. The pauper Christian, the poor Christian, the pauper Christian uh, lives for this world alone, you know? This world alone. Remember that old hymn? Like, I don't know if it's a hymn or not, but it goes, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up beyond the blue. This week I, I saw a little thing on Facebook. It has to be true if it's on Facebook. Amen? It has to be true. And it was the 20 richest preachers in America. And I went through that very carefully, and I, I didn't find my name. <laughs> I, I wasn't there. And, and one guy is worth $700 billion. How, what's, how's he going to take that to heaven, you know? And, and if we can take money to heaven, what is the currency of heaven? Heaven doesn't have any currency that we're familiar with. And so what we have down here in this world cannot be translated into heaven. And that's the whole plan of God's blueprint of our salvation. D.L. Moody. I love D.L. Moody. And I think I have all of his books, at least that I can find. And he said to his congregation several times, but he said, someday you're going to read in the newspapers that D.L. Moody is dead. But don't you believe it. Because at that time, I'm going to be more alive than I am right now. And that's exactly what it means to be a Christian, to live for the world to come. Now, let me break it down for you. And uh, it's, it's going to be a little, little strange. I hope you get it. But the first thing about the blueprint of our salvation is the exasperation of Christ. And I use that word exasperation very, very seriously, the aspiration, expiration of Jesus Christ, which means the, the ultimate pain and suffering. And we don't get that. Look what it says in verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. I want you to notice here, he did not say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's resurrection till he come. It's the death of Jesus Christ that he was focusing on there. And crucifixion, if you have studied it at all, crucifixion was developed by the, the Parisians, whatever, however you pronounce them, in uh, the year 300-400 B.C. And what they were trying to do, the most painful death ever invented by man, it was a form of slow, painful suffering. What was the physical suffering of Jesus? Let me go over that. Before the nails and the spear, Jesus was whipped and beaten. The whipping was so severe that it tore the flesh from his body, exposing his bones. The beating so horrific that his face was torn, his beard was ripped from his face. The crown of thorns, two to three inch thorns, cut deeply into his scalp. Pain. The pain that Jesus bore there, a slow, painful death. And I think so many times that we have trivialized the cross. Uh, let me get into trouble, okay? A preacher isn't on his job unless he gets into trouble. Amen? There's this matter of reenactment. And uh, it was a couple years ago, down south of us, I hope I don't tell the name, but down south, they were looking for men to hire. They would get salaries, benefits, all kinds of stuff. It was a full-time job. 
And what they were going to do was re, re uh, whatever, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ, a reenactment of the crucifixion of Jesus. Every, every, every day, I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to go down and say, wait a minute, I will be the one that hammers the nails into their feet and into their, into their wrists, you see. That is a joke. That, that is, that is a, a farce as far as God is concerned. Crucifixion is not entertainment. Crucifixion is not something that we, we, oh, yeah, look at that. Isn't that wonderful? But you need to understand that before Jesus Christ got to that cross, he was beaten so bad. The, the skin on his back was, was, was torn off. And you could see his bones. And his face was so, so beaten up, they pulled off his, his beard, and, and, and the, the pain was so terrible before he even got to the cross. That bothers me, doesn't it bother you? And, and when he went to the cross, and I would have liked to have gone down and told them what happened, do you know when he, what was, when he went to the cross and then when he was nailed on the cross, he was absolutely positively naked. He was supposed to be naked in order to humiliate him. How can you be humiliated when you have such pain and such, such blood and, and all of that kind of stuff? I don't understand it. I don't understand the incarnation when Jesus is both God and man. But here we have this man, Jesus, who took all of that pain and, and suffering and, and all of that for our benefit. Over in John, what is it, 1.14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. He was made flesh. I don't understand that. I know he is both God and man, but I don't understand it. He was man to such a degree that he could experience all of the pain and suffering that uh, any man in this world could ever, ever bear. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? He put himself in an irreversible situation. I like this old hymn. I haven't heard in a long time. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he died alone for you and me. And so the exasperation of Christ is in that suffering. And he put himself there. There's no pain or agony that Jesus did not experience in its fullness. Uh, no matter where you go, there's no pain that Jesus did not experience there. And, and he experienced it for you and for me. And, and we need to understand that when we come to the Lord's table, our, our focus should be on the death of Jesus Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. And the exasperation of Christ and the pain of Christ. And, and uh, where, where does it say he, he looked, uh, I forget now where it's at, in, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthian? That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, this is Jesus saying this. 
This is Jesus on the cross for you. This is Jesus on the cross for me. And God allowed him to suffer all of that because of you and because of me. And I, I think I need to understand a little bit when Jesus was hanging there on the cross and, and in that despicable manner in which he was put there, everybody fled him. All his disciples fled him, everybody. And then he says, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? And, and the, the thing is that Jesus Christ felt the pain and the suffering of humanity there on that cross. And so you have the exasperation of Christ in verse 26. And then the second thing, let's see, I think I have till midnight to, to finish, okay? So the, the second thing is the expectation of sinners. Look again at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And I want you to turn over with me to, well, I'll, I'll just read it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. Now when the centurion, he was at the cross there, you know, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. And so when I talk today about the expectation of sinners, I'm looking at it from God's blueprint. What is the expectation of sinners? This expectation of every sinner rests upon your shoulders and my shoulders. When, when the centurion and those people saw Jesus, saw the death of Jesus, they acknowledged that this was indeed the Son of God. I think there's a devotional writer. We're not quite sure who it was. Some say Francis of Assisi, but some people say no. And, but I like what he says, and Dr. Tozer quotes this quite often. He says, we should preach the gospel every day and when necessary, use words. And the expectation of the sinner is to see the death of Christ in me as a believer, to see in me what Christ has done and how Christ has changed my life. Ye do show the Lord's death. And every day I get up and go out into the world, I need to be an example of the death of Christ so that the sinner can see what it's all about. People don't need to see in me religious views, <laughs> political views, or sociological views, but they need to see the Lord's death as they look at me. In my first church, 1973, I think it was, uh, it was a small community and uh, pastors would get together, sometimes once a month, whatever. And one was a Lutheran pastor. And every time we got together, it was so boring because he talked about how those stupid firefighters, it was a volunteer firefighter uh, team. They don't deserve it, they don't this, they don't that. Pretty soon we got so tired of hearing about it, you know. Then one day him and his wife went out for supper or something like that. And while they were gone, the house caught on fire, and the volunteer firefighters got there to save that house. And when this Lutheran pastor saw that and experienced that, whenever we got together, we couldn't help but hear how great those firefighters were. You gotta see something, and the sinner needs to see in me a life transformed by the power of God. 
they can't see in me just a religious person going about you know, religious things, they need to see a transformed person, a person that has God's death flowing through my life. And when I come to the Lord's Supper, I need to remember that it is the death. And that death is not something to joke about. It's not something of entertainment. That death is, is the, 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 the most horrendous pain that humanity has ever ever experienced and Jesus did it for you and he did it for me and so what the sinner needs is to see the fruit of God's Christ's death in my life he needs to see the fruit what is it about you that has changed since you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ how has the death of Jesus transformed your life and empowered you to live a life that cannot be explained uh, Tozer says this a lot of times, if you can explain your Christian life, you're probably not living the Christian life, you see, because my Christian life is a mystery, and, and people need to come up to me and say, I notice what's so different about you, and that's when you can begin to share the death of Jesus Christ to them. What is it about you that has changed? Have you just become a religious follower? Have you just become a, a goody, goody, goody boy, you know? Uh, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so the expectation of sinners is that your life is so soundly graded and, and grounded in, in the death of Jesus Christ that they can see a big difference, big difference in their life. And so the exasperation of Christ and the pain that he suffered and the expectation of sinners. And then to go to the third level, the experience of Christians. What is the experience of Christians? If you think I was off base on the first two, wait until you hear this one. You know, the experience of Christians. What is that experience? Look what it says. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. We as Christians are part of a great plan that never changes, that connects us one to another. We don't know how we're being connected. You know, we don't know that. Our sister that I mentioned didn't know that she was part of a plan. The pastor, I didn't. But when it all came together, you know, one of the great things when we get to heaven is we're going to be able to see how God has used us, how God has pulled us together. And we were, we were I mean, we're, we're going to be flabbergasted if any flabbers are up in heaven. We're going to be flabbergasted at what God has done in my life and how God has used me. And sometimes I, I, I want to say, oh, you know, poor me, poor me, you know. I, like I said, about a year ago, I had a heart attack. I had one stent put in. And so uh, after I come out of the surgery and all of that kind of stuff, I used to go and tell people, you know, I, I had a heart attack, one stent. And before I can get it out, people say, oh, <laughs> that, that's nothing. I had four stents put in. And they wouldn't let me tell my story because their story was more important than my story. Oh, my friend, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see the reality of my life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to see how he had used me, a, a sinner saved by grace, a wretch of a person. If you, if you think you're better than, who wrote that uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? Wasn't that Isaac Newton? So, John, John Newton, John Newton, and uh, that saved a wretch like me. My friend, if you don't see yourself as a wretch, you're never going to be saved. 
Because when we think we can handle our life, when we think we can take control of everything, we don't know what God has in store. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. I don't know if you ever heard of Tony Fontaine. He was back in the day when Frank Sinatra was singing. He had, he had multi-million dollar record contracts and he went all over the world. He sang with Frank Sinatra and the, that group there. And he was a great, great man, great singer. And then he had an accident. I guess he was in a coma for a week or so, whatever it was, I don't remember. But as he was coming out, he was still in the hospital, he turned his life and heart over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how he got to that, but that's not important right now. And what he did was he said this, his throat was gone, everything was gone as far as he knew. He said, Heavenly Father, if I ever am able to use my voice, I will only sing songs that bring praise and glory to you. You know what happened? He got out, he got his voice back. He had uh, on, the, on the table, he had a multi-million dollar contracts with record companies and so forth, and he was legally obliged to, uh, to do it, and he refused to do it, and they sued him. They sued him for everything he had. He said, no, sir, I will only sing, these lips will only sing praises unto God. Now, people could go to him and say something like this. Well, let's, listen, Tony, listen, listen. Uh, you, you get those contracts, and you get those million dollars, and you can tithe it to the church. That's, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's not God speaking, I tell you. God, God doesn't need your tithe. God needs your heart. And, and uh, Tony Fontaine, from that moment, he had to sing at small little churches where he barely got an offering, and, and he, he continued and continued and, and, and never went back on his agreement with God. But it cost him everything. But God gave it back to him. God gave a lot of things back to him. And you know, my friend, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, it's going to cost you everything everything. And, and I'm not talking about sin. That's a, that's a different story. What I'm talking about are things that you love. Can you imagine God coming to Abraham one night? Abraham was sitting around the fire just enjoying it. He had a son there. The son was the light of his life. And God said, Abraham, I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice on the mountain. I would have loved to have been there and seen the reaction of Abraham. The thing that he loved. I'm sure, I'm sure Abraham would say, listen, how, how about if I give you 20 camels and put, put them on the altar? It was his son. And Abraham did just that. How he did it, I don't know. But he gave up his son. Now there's something God wants you to give up. Something God wants you to do something God wants you to lay on the altar, and it's not sin. I'm not going to say, okay, God, uh, I won't rob the bank if you, if you bless me. You know, uh, That has nothing at all to do with it. God is going to ask you to give up that which you love the most. And you know, when Abraham went up the mountain, I think his heart was sad because he was going to give up his son. 
But when he came down, he had his son. But he didn't have the same son. You know what I mean? It was a different relationship now. And sometimes when we give up something to God, he gives it back in a different dimension. And here's the thing, the, the experience of the Christian. Here's what God wants to do. Here, here's the blueprint of what God wants. God wants to wean you from the world. He wants to wean us all from the world's value and begin to follow him. And boy, that takes a lifetime. That takes a lifetime. And uh, are we willing to do it? Do we, do we love the Lord more than we love things? Do we love things more than we love God? God wants to wean me from the world. And I cannot take discipleship for granted. I can't take it for granted. Look at, first, well, uh, let's skip that one. Uh, Alexander White uh, was a Scottish preacher over in Scotland, of course. And they brought over D.L. Moody for a crusade of some sort. And uh, it was a wonderful crusade. And after the crusade, one of Alexander White's friends came up to him and said, do you know that there are some people who are saying they don't know, they don't believe that D.L. Moody was a Christian? And oh, Alexander White went off the record there. And if he's not a Christian, nobody's a Christian. I mean, he went on and on and on and on. And when he quieted down, the man also said, you know, those same people don't think you're a Christian either. And he went quiet, just like that. And in a moment he said, please, get out of the room here. Let me alone. I need to check my heart, you see. What about you? Have you checked your heart? When was the last time you confessed? I'm not talking about uh, big sins, you know. I'm talking about uh, selfishness, greed, that sort of thing. What was the last? What was the last sin that you confessed and repented of? Can you think of one? Can you if you can't think of one, oh, my brother, my sister, you're behind. You're behind. You're behind. I want to come to my life, and I want to get everything out. I want to clean it all out. And, and it, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. And the only way I can identify what is wrong in my life is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I need to really have an understanding. One last story, then I'll try to close. But uh, Charles Spurgeon, Joseph Parker, were, were pastors in London back in the late 1800s. And uh, when they were in London, and whenever people would go there, they would try to go one service at uh, Spurgeon's church, one, one service at Parker's church. And one time this, uh, business couple went and they went to Joseph Parker's church and as they came out what a wonderful sermon that was that illustration that, that what he did oh that was that was the most wonderful sermon I've ever heard he's a great preacher and then that night they went to Charles Spurgeon's church they come out and they walked they were both silent finally one of them said we sure have a great God, don't we? What a difference. What a difference. I want people to see that in me, the only explanation for my life is Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
And I, wanna, I want people to come to me and say, hey, what's, what's, what's different about you, you know? That's how, we, that's how we share our testimony. And sometimes we, we just, uh, what should I say? We just ignore it. But I need to live a life. I need to live a life that's in complete harmony with the blueprint of my salvation in Jesus Christ. Because listen here. There is somebody that depends upon me, and I don't know who they are. There's somebody that depends upon you, and you don't know who they are. You don't. One day in heaven you'll find out. But I need to live today as, as though today I am going to live in such a way that God can use me to touch the lives of those around me. I don't want to get political. Remember, John F. Kennedy said, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I would like to modify that and say this. Don't ask what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. And if you, if you pray that, be careful, be careful, because if you pray that kind of a prayer, God was go is going to put you in a situation that you can't handle physically or mentally. God is going to put you in a situation where your only answer is God working through you. Isn't that where you want to be? Isn't that where you want to be? where God can work through you to touch other people's lives. I don't want to be a great preacher because then people pat me on the back and say, oh, what a wonderful preacher you are. Uh, I've listened. <laughs> you know, I've listened to my sermons. But in closing, here's what I want to say. The blueprint of my salvation has been established. And the great challenge of my life as a Christian is to get into harmony with that blueprint. 